and that in a world that's not seeming very hopeful, this work is hopeful, that this is where change comes from. Uh, is by changing how we think about how we educate. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I am your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Annie Kidder. Annie is a passionate education advocate and a systems thinker who is the executive director of People for Education, a Canadian nonprofit. The organization she leads is building networks, providing evidence, and engaging the public to support system change in education from all the way down to early childhood to beyond secondary school. The goals of the organization's work are both to ensure that all students have an equitable opportunity to graduate with the skills and competencies they need to succeed into the future, and also to ensure that Canada as a nation has the next generations it needs for a fair, prosperous, and sustainable society. Annie, it's a delight to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you. Let's start with our first question as we delve into all things learning and education, and that is, what's something you've learned recently? It's hilarious because I think because we're in a pandemic, the thing that comes to mind instantly is things you've learned about uh, living in a pandemic. And so <laughs> yeah. personally learned, I think I have personally learned uh, that there's only so long that you can last uh, thinking. And then when real life starts again. Um, <laughs> and so personally, it's been, okay, this is real life. Uh, you can't keep waiting. You cannot keep eating buns waiting for the pandemic to be over. Um, and that it's really important to be to be able to be present with all of the things there at the same time, the kind of, you know, the state of the world, the pandemic, mm -hmm. and also work, life, you know, it's all happening at once. That's, you know, that's a very personal thing, but I think it's a, for me, it's an incredibly important part of I, how I'm thinking and working and being right now. Well, I think it also lends itself also to the work that you've been doing now for some time around how do, how do you think about what, success is in a society and how does education, how can education be shaped in a way that enables that social prosperity to really emerge? To tell us a bit more about, you know, some of the work that you've been doing and the big idea that you explore through your, your contribution to the world. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that's, that's different about us as an organization is that we do think about the world. I don't mean that sounds egomaniacal, I don't mean it that way, but that we think no. about first, you know, what kind of world do we want to live in? What kind of society do we want to have? Um, and then uh, what's the role of public education in that? What does that mean public education should be doing in order to get us that society? Um, and I think that that perspective brings a kind of different way of thinking than thinking about how do we change, you know, teaching in grade 10 or very specific things inside of education. Mm. So for us now, when we, we, you know, we look at the world, which is a bit messy. Um, and yeah. we think about the inequity in the world, the growing inequity in the world. Um, we think about the economy and, uh, the nature of jobs, the changing nature of jobs, um, about systemic uh, racism, 
uh, in all that pervades all of our society. In yeah. Canada, very much as in Australia, we think a lot about reconciliation. Um, and so for us then, thinking about all those really big things, um, hmm. then it's thinking about, okay, how does education need to change in order to address those? There's a great quote from uh, a, a former judge became a senator in Canada named Murray Sinclair, and he was the chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And his great quote to me is, education got us into the, this mess, education will get us out of it. And by mess, he meant kind of the whole ball of wax in terms of Indigenous peoples, in terms of Canada, in terms of our kind of hope for the country. Mm. So, so taking all those big, huge things then, it's, it's then what does that mean for education? How does it need to evolve? And it really, really uh, needs to evolve. And, and as an outsider, and it's hilarious because I still think of myself as an outsider, sometimes <laughs> education can be very frustrating because it stays like, it's like, we're going to do the same thing the same way, kind of, or we're going to tinker around the edges. Um, but it, it, it struggles with evolution. Mm. That's fantastic, Annie. I, I certainly don't think of you as an outsider in any way. Uh, you know, a key part of the kind of <laughs> ecosystem, really. Let's go straight to the heart of the matter. You know, why is it as a human system that we don't see kind of the evolution that perhaps many of us think is required? What are the kind of systemic barriers, like the idea that the system seeks to create kind of some homeostasis where it can stay as it is without any cer certain individual trying to hold it there. What, what have you learned on that big journey? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big one too. Um, I think it's two things. I think, and I'm really making this up now. I think one of them is that the inside of education is kind of a mystery to the outside world. I mean, I've been doing this for a million years and I still think it's a kind of miraculous mystery, what teachers inside classrooms do. And I have no real idea really what they do. So your kids kind of enter into that, that box, that building, the doors close and they do something in there and they come out kind of educated. So there's a kind of, there's a, and there's a, there's a lack of, uh, that lack of understanding, I think, um, partially, instills a kind of social feeling about of how important could it really be? Or, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I went to school too. People on the outside, in the outside world, who everybody went to school. So they all think they kind of know how it works or should work. Mm -hmm. So even how teachers learn is a mystery, what they learn is a mystery. So there's that part. But then in terms of the system itself, systems, um, um, need a lot of structure to run. Um, and there are a lot of um, or groups with kind of turf within that system. So in order for any part of it to change, it takes a lot of negotiation, which is huge in education. So people get elected going, we're going to do this with very kind of simplistic goals for education. Um, and, and that then when you try to introduce any kind of new thinking, it has, it bangs up against all of the system stuff, all of the people with their various um, sort of levels of power in the system, bangs mm. up against politics. Um, and, and then it bangs up with 
how do you convince society that they should care about this and should want it to change in this way? Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think those are some of the impediments uh, to change in education. It really seems like it's just extraordinarily complex. And I think one of the benefits, if, the, uh, if there's been one of the few benefits perhaps of the pandemic has been how learning has become somewhat demystified by the learning from home requirements where parents and communities have been just closer to the learning process than ever before. And, and when mm -hmm. done well, educators and leaders and, and the parents and the communities have really kind of had quite clear lines of communication uh, in terms of what's required and how do we support you know, holistic growth and development in a pandemic where people can't mm -hmm. convene in person. And when they do, it's under such severe restrictions that kind of social connectedness is, is also um, challenged by that. So how, how then do you unpick this complexity? I mean, what, what, what have been the key kind of, I know it's a big question, Annie, but what have been the key initiatives that you've seen in your time that have brought the right people together at the right time and kind of enabled a step forward, if not a leap, uh, at least a step? I think, I think that the pandemic has partly demystified education. So when I said before, nobody knows what happens, you know, you go into that room, the door closes, suddenly, like families could see teachers mm -hmm. um, and family, you know, there was all that jokey stuff at the, about the beginning about how, oh, now that I understand this, you know, I think teachers should be paid a million dollars a year. Um, so there, there was a bit of that. Yeah. yeah, which, which, oh no, I think bar none, it is the most important job in the world. There is no more important job than being a teacher. You know, yes, doctors save lives and, you know, people working in healthcare, it's obviously incredibly important, but teaching is amazing. So I think it, it did that. I think it, hopefully it made there be more of a, there, no, not even hopefully, there has been much more of a conversation about kids' overall well being and mental health. And it was understanding that as part of education, as part of, you know, that that actually, you know, back to the problem of the siloedness of education, that we had to think of this uh, all of a piece. They, these were humans. And mm. um, there's a wonderful Indigenous scholar who wrote a whole piece about talking about education. And she, they, the, she talks about it as becoming a capable human being, that that's the purpose of education. So, you know, I think that the pandemic, you know, helped open that up. The worry is it'll just close back down again. It's like, yeah. we'll go, thank God that's over. Let's get back to basics. And that we really will just go back to basics because everybody's worried about, you know, our kids two months behind. In learning math. loss. Yeah. As it's called. Yeah. Learning loss, very narrowly defined. Yeah. And I think that the places where I have been excited, um, it, it, it's it's actually it's either in conversations with people who are all willing to think and be and get messy and uh, not be representing their uh, their organization or their group um, and get honest about what actually doesn't work. Mm. That's those are very exciting, but it's how do you make them go somewhere? How do you take those out of the you know sitting around having a few drinks talking about education, or in a room with people who are are again willing to do that work where there's no clear answer? How do you get that out into the world? Because to me, the only way change happens is by 
by the outs the outside world asking for that change because it's political in a way. And so how do you bring those, how you, you know, bring those conversations out to the world um, is another kind of mystery. The other, the other mm. place where sometimes I, I, I saw a video about this school in a tiny little town in British Columbia um, where they were working with a university and, and, and it was, and half the kids are um, first nations there were teachers and you know school board people and the kids all talking and thinking about learning and i and every time i've watched it a million times now and mm. every time i watch it i go this is what schools should feel like and everybody should know this is the potential in schools yeah. you know but back to your first question about why doesn't it evolve it's like then trying to figure out how we get beyond the simplistic messages about education or simplistic purposes um, and the simplistic politics mm. to go look what happens when kids get excited about their learning. So, you know, sorry, now I am going on, but one of the things that then I think maybe one of the secrets that we haven't cracked yet is kids actually. And that right. we talk in a kind of tokenistic way about youth voice. And, you know, we kind of tick that box and go, great, yeah. we listen to some youth, but there are people we're working with now who, who are going, you know what, we have to understand, uh, we have to think about neuroscience and the difference in young brains, not in a kind of, as a deficit, as like, oh, how, you know, and plasticity, now we can change them, but mm. more in a positive way that actually they can bring a whole different thing to this conversation. And they could, they could lead more. I mean, look at Greta, look at, um, and it's like yeah. trying to f switch how we think a little bit to truly involve uh, young yeah. people in those conversations and pushing uh, in those conversations. I really like this point, Annie, about you know when you when you see it when you see the evidence and the practices and the programs uh -huh. you know that exist in a living human system in a school in a learning yeah. community in a learning village. It really shows the possibility because it's easy to talk yeah. about the concepts in some ways and and it's easy to kind of get lost in the kind of complexity merchant world which is, you know, everything is so complex. Yeah. You need someone to kind of yeah. unpick the complexity. Um, so I really love this idea and the piece around young people. And actually just, I mean, I agree with you, actually. I think they are the largest, like the largest resource in yeah. schools. And yet because of the way that the system has been designed, they sit largely passive. Uh, you know, supported by overwhelmingly well-intentioned, hardworking educators that mm -hmm. also feel sometimes trapped, often I would even say, trapped by this system of measures, uh, of metrics, of assessment that sometimes feels like they're not yeah. kind of really unlocking the true potential of the young people that, that we're trying to serve in our classrooms and in our communities. So, I mean, the, the idea of going beyond student voice has been around for a long time, but, you know, student voice to student choice and then maybe even to student ownership yeah. and co-ownership the ideas of co-agency that the OECD has been talking about, for example, for some time. I mean, I really see that as the opportunity. And some mm -hmm. schools are seizing it and they're doing it by actually yielding some power as kind of teachers and, and leaders and then doing it as a kind of more cohesive and yet more diverse group. And so that's, that I think it really excites me as well, Annie. And the examples, you can see this happening. Yeah. And yet they still, the question is how, how do you enable that at scale? How do you liberate 
as Michael Fullan, you know, a fellow Canadian would say, how do you liberate downwards and then inform upwards in systems is a really interesting question. Um, so I also have a question about equity uh -huh. from you because I think as, as you've said, I mean, equity has been going in the wrong direction for some time and the pandemic has just accelerated that in a significant way economically and even educationally. How do we actually do equity justice? How do you get justice with equity? Because, you know, we have the excellence argument, which I support, yeah. alongside the equity argument, which is how do we actually capitalize on the, on the talents, the diversity that exists in our communities? What, give us the answer, Annie. That would be fantastic. Ah, Thank you so no much. No problem. <laughs> and what if you, what, it, yeah, and in one sentence also. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that one of the things is, you know, in, in education, maybe in other systems too, we talk about moving the equity needle and it's like we go and, you know, you can kind of see it there, except that it's never moved. I've been doing this for nearly 25 years. It's actually never moved in the whole time I've been doing it. You know, socioeconomics, race are still the biggest predictors of whether or not you're going to be successful in school or life. Um, and I go, okay, everybody, we've got the wrong needle then, you know, otherwise it's the, you know, definition of insanity. We just keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And yeah. the result, I mean, it's, it's extraordinarily stuck that. So we have been exploring uh, rights and thinking about, you know, what happens when you when you add a, a rights-based perspective to education. And for young people, this is particular, this starts to really flip things. Mm. Now, some of the people we're talking to, it just totally freaks them out and they get very, very upset people because they see uh, rights as a, just a way of attacking. I'm going to go in, I'm going to make a human rights complaint. I'm going to demand my whatever. Right. But we think that if if you have the right to equity, for instance, if we think of it that way as an actual human right, mm. and if we think of education, which is a core human right, yes. and it's a core, it enables all of the other rights, your right to, you know, having a, a, a political voice or your right to all of the other kind of social, economic, cultural rights. And so if we, if we said to ourselves, we have a right, everybody has a right to a quality education um, with equitable outcomes, um, then how does that flip how you start to think? So we've been looking at this a lot and I'm definitely, you know, we've been working with a lot of rights experts and they're interesting because they come from outside education. Mm. Um, a lot of them working on cities. So in Canada, they're working on, uh, uh, human rights cities. What does that do? What does that look like? And how 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 do, how is education part of that? Right. But in the in the sort of concept of social, economic, and um, cultural rights, there's this thing. I'm again not a human rights lawyer. Called the idea of progressive realization of rights, which I just love. So mm -hmm. what it is, it's a way of making any kind of system accountable and saying out loud, this is what we're working towards, realization of these rights. Um, and what we're going to tell you every year from wherever, our school, our classroom, our school board, our government, we're gonna tell you how we're making progress on these rights. We're not gonna say, you can have all these rights instantly, go. But mm. we're gonna say, we commit to these rights. And in a way, maybe, 
Um, by doing that and by entering that into the, now Canada doesn't, we're not, there are other countries, European countries, South American countries with way more of a kind of culture of thinking of rights. Mm. Canada is, you know, it's not the norm in our culture, but I think there's a hope in there because part of it has to do with what our system's accountable for. Yeah. And if we keep saying they're accountable for the reading and math scores, that's all they'll keep working on. And they're never going to change the inequity. Mm. We love math and reading scores because we like the kind of, you know, up good, down bad graph, the end as a proxy for everything. But but we, the proverbial we know, it's a, it's a terrible proxy because we're not actually, we don't know whether, you know, how much or what kids are really learning that are going to serve them through their lives. So the the idea of so we have been working developing a an, a right to education framework with really concrete clearly defined now right it's very very big and unwieldy right now mm -hmm. but we are trying to get it into a usable form and and talking to people who work in the school system going would this help you if you had this thing to kind of this lens through which mm. to do your work, because every people are, you know, talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion. You know, now it's even an acronym, which you know that's the end. Yes. Then once it becomes an acronym, you're kind of done. Um, but they actually don't know how to, you know, so they like make posters or whatever. Sorry, that's not very nice of me. They do a lot more than that. Mm. But what they don't have is a is a kind of tool to help them get there. So some of the people we've been talking to go have gone. This is great. Now, now I have, you know, I, I can see some concrete goals or I have some language that I can attach to. So I think that that's, I think that there is a possibility That's there. interesting. But I think that the other thing, sorry, just to go on about equity, is that I, I come from the arts. My background is actually in theater. And in all my time in education, I have felt as if, and this really goes to the competencies and skills and social emotional learning and everything, but from my background, it's like I come at it from kind of arts-based thinking, if that's a thing, but that when we drive the system to make people do better on reading, writing, and math, and I always feel like I have to say, reading, writing, and math are really important. I'm not, you know, denying that, yeah. but if we only do that, um, we bake in the inequity because my kids, not because I'm a great parent or anything, but because I have access to culture, I read books, I go to plays, you know, I can pay for my kids to go to camp and do all those other things. My kids are more likely to be successful no matter what I do or what schools do. And that's terrible. And that's the inequity. Yeah. So that the part of, part of the flip that's needed then has to do with not tokenistically talking about social emotional learning, uh, not just working on trying to invent a new way for, you know, Microsoft, nothing against Microsoft to measure it. Um, but actually going, this is when we think about kids in, in preschool and in school, we have to really respect that these are teachable, learnable skills that some kids get, through their homes, but yeah. some kids don't go, don't. And the, 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 the potential in education to change that is huge. But again, it means really changing the system um, because you have to not just like go and on Friday afternoons, we'll do social emotional skills. You have to think of it as part of curriculum. You have to think of it as your responsibility to yeah. teach um, 
all of those things, which unfortunately are called, you know, soft or non-cognitive or which are stupid terms because they're just all part of the way, you know, we think and learn and be in the world. Annie, I love your passion, <laughs> I have to say. And, and I, I agree with you on principle and on many things. I really am interested in this idea of, you know, the rights of the learner, you know, or a mm-hmm. rights-based framework. And I really like this idea of progressive realization as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's like this unfolding towards a better world. Which exactly. Really, the sustainable development goals. Yeah, it's, by twenty thirty. Yeah, hopefully, exactly. we, you know, uh-huh. we're yeah. trying to progressively realize those yeah. and not go backwards on on any indicators. So I'm really interested in that. I, I'd like as well your reflections on the skills and competencies, and I know a lot of your focus mm-hmm. at People for Education is on what are those ones? Like, if we're doing something in education, like uh-huh. what? what gives us the best return for our time and our effort? And as you say, I think we get stuck in these dichotomies of uh, we're doing cognitive skills now and now we're doing non-cognitive skills, yeah, yeah, hard yeah. skills and soft skills. But really, there has to, as we know, it's some kind of meta-transcendence of this yeah. integration and, and thankfully the neuroscience, particularly the effective neurosciences, uh, are bearing this out. You know, it's a great learning is social, emotional and cognitive at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, what, what, are you, what have you seen and, and what kind of steps are being made in terms of changing that agenda? Because it does seem from where I sit that we're, we're seeing kind of industry start to take a significant lead on this. And I know that you work quite closely with industry. Mm-hmm. You know, they might say soft skills, which isn't my preferred terminology mm-hmm. or yours. Yeah. Uh, and the conversation is also underway. They're talking, you know, the World Economic Forum is all over yeah. this Institute yeah. for the Future, World Bank. You know, these big kind of economically focused organizations are saying we need this for the economy and also for equity and, and kind of mm-hmm. societal flourishing. So, yeah, what, what's your reflections on the kind of skills and competencies? Because, it, yeah, it's not just about a f- program on Friday afternoon, as you say. It seems to be more about the cultural and the practices that take place in these. But it's also then, so there's so many things in there. Um, it is the it is about the neuroscience because understanding that brains aren't divided cognitive non-cognitive brains are a, a thing with a lot of different parts that interact um, and they're 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 not you know we oh you know we talk about right brain and left brain they're not really divided that way it's yeah. not like now the soft part of my brain is in operation and now the hard part is and it's vital that we see it as integrated and i have to say one of my favorite quotes i ever heard i hope it's not apocryphal was from the minister of education in france who was asked about something to do with neuros- neuroscience and he went the brain what's that got to do with education and it was like so gracious but but so that we've got scientists who know this and we have early childhood educators who know it too. So yeah. that's where I feel like we're not, so that was we were both listening to people talk the other day about social emotional learning and um, James Heckman was there, um, you know, the economist, you know, not to- Nobel laureate, yeah. Yeah, Nobel laureate. I am an old white woman, an old white guy going, just a second, you guys, you're not, you're not, you're not talking about the most important part. And, and really kind of, you know, a firm about this because he went, you have to talk about early childhood. And if you yeah. only talk about education starting in whenever kindergarten, you're missing the boat. And it's funny because for us, when we're talking about to 
the employers and all of those people, we're going, if you only talk about post-secondary, you're missing the boat, you have to go farther upstream. Mm -hmm. But the thing about early childhood education and, and development is those guys, those experts, and in fabulous early childhood programs, they don't divide it. Mm. They totally understand that that learning happens um, a, all at once because I'm playing with the, you know, sand. I figure out if I do this, this happens. I learn to play with the other kid and we learn to like actually do something together. So we learn to collaborate. Um, I learned that I, wow, when I did this over here with these blocks, this happened. I wonder what would happen if I did it with the sand. That's an incredibly important uh, yeah. skill to have, to be able to take what you've learned in one area and apply it to another. Um, they learn to communicate. They learn to persist. You know, you watch little kids do things over and over and over and get really, really mad, but keep on going. And, but, and from a system perspective, that's supported in really good early learning programs that's supported. I was going to go somewhere else. So part of it, part of it is um, it's understanding those skills and competencies. Uh, you know, we started calling them the new basics just to mm. push back against politics that was saying, we need to go back to basics. You know, why aren't kids learning the times tables and going these, these, we know, we know again, um, that that you have these are the foundations for yeah. all learning and especially nowadays um in this massively changing world um you you have to be able to keep learning and learning a fact is great but not enough because you have to you have to know because you're going to change jobs a million times and all those things how to learn more, learn differently, how to be curious. And you can, mm. act, and we, we think, I still worry that we think of a lot of those things as character attributes. People still talk about character, which I really hate. Um, or they talk about either, and even as traits, it's like that still sounds like character and something you're born with. And that's part of the responsibility, the equity responsibility is, if we keep thinking that, then my kids are gonna be successful and somebody else's kids aren't. Um, but if we think of those as, as skills that you learn, um, that then it changes the system. But there, there's a then a, we have to work back another step because then we have to change how we teach teachers. Because yeah. uh, you know, I've seen one tiny little study about this of a, in from a teaching uh, faculty where they ask teachers, "Are you learning how to teach? You know, 21st century whatever skills." non-cognitive, global, you know, whatever label, durable, that's my new favorite word. I yeah. think we talked about that the other day. And they went, no, we have no idea how to teach those things. That's not what we're learning. So the other thing that hasn't changed for a million years is teacher education. Because if we, if we want that to change, we have to change how we teach teachers. And mm. I just want to add one last thing. Sure. It has been really interesting for us talking to people in the corporate sector. And I'm kind of basically an old lefty. And if you'd asked me 25 years ago about the corporate sector and its sort of role in education, I'd be like, oh, that's terrible. They shouldn't be part of this. But what I know is that they, they also, in their own ways, <laughs> they care about the world and society. They care about prosperity. And they, except I don't, I'm not saying people in the corporate sector should be in their 
you know, figuring out how to teach math in grade 10, which some of them want to do. That's a bad idea. But having their voice there going, we, we need people with a, a different set of skills um, and we need them. It's urgent that we have them. Yeah. And again, back to the equity thing, I'm worried that the inequity is going to get worse because of what those skills are, because yeah. those skills are adaptability and complex problem solving and all those things, which still are affected by, by class and by socioeconomics. Mm. It's a very long answer. That was great, Annie. And I really touched on kind of my next question, which was really going to be, you know, where to from here? And so I'd love you to, so two final questions. One is, hopefully when we're sitting down in 10 years time and pandemic and other crises are long, long past, but not yet forgotten. Uh, what, what is your kind of desire for the way that education takes place? The experience that young people, that educators, that leaders, that communities have, you know, with and through education. It's question one. Mm -hmm. Question two is, what's your take home message? What are some words that would, that you want to leave uh, our listeners with? Well, I think in terms of the first question, I think part of the desire is that the world outside education has a different perspective of education because that's actually what's going to allow that change. So why the reason that a lot of our work is focused on the outside world, I do like a ton of just media interviews, you know, talking to wacky radio hosts or whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I spend a lot of time doing right. that because to me, it's like I'm I'm trying to bring that conversation out into the world and go, sure. you should all really care about this. Mm. Um, so part of the, the hope for the future is that that we're in a world where people really understand the value and the and the potential in in good strong uh, public education, and that's going to take a lot of work, and that's going to take a lot of education people stopping just talking to themselves and being very pleased with themselves by you know I've become the new whatever of you know. Um, the guru on X or Y, or look, now I've written another book. And I'm sorry, I know people write books and that's really, really great, but, but that it's a, it's incredibly insulated yeah. world. And it doesn't see as it's, as it's goal at communicating to the it's outside expanded world. audience. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And I get really mad. Um, and I find it very, it's very elitist. It's very, and it just like, and it's very self congratulatory in its, um, so we all inside education have to stop acting like that. And we have to see as part of our purpose that, you know, and maybe not call it knowledge mobilization, maybe just call it communicating um, right. and, and, and really work at that. Because until, you know, back to the video I saw of the little tiny town, the people in that little tiny town were incredibly excited about what was going on in the school because it was really different than anything they'd ever imagined. Um, you know, and one kid talked about building barbecues outside and the fire mm. department coming, but it was like, he was so excited about his learning. And it's so that it's, so it's partly that it's partly seeing this as part of our society, not right. separated from it. Yeah. And I think that the other hope is that it's changed that, that, 
teaching teachers has changed, but we've changed also students' power in education. And it's actually power. And I think, and I'm a parent, so I feel like I can be as mean as I want about parents. It is not about parents' power. Parents are a very iffy bunch. And really, (laughs) you know, parents really care about their own children. But students, on the other hand, there's a great, there's a woman I've been talking to who, no, I'm not going to forget what it's called. Generative something. There's a term, which I can't remember. Generative listening? Generative, um, no, it's thinking, I think, because there's, Mm. you know, there are scholars who say it's not until you're like 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever that you're able to think about what am I leaving? You know, how has the world changed? You're, you're thinking beyond yourself in a way. And she goes, this is bullshit. Sorry, if I can say bullshit on this, she said, kids can think that way too. Kids can think about the whole system or how it should Mm. change. Yeah. All of those things. And so to me, part of it is how do we, how does governance change so that, I mean, in Ontario, we have student trustees, but, and they're there in all the board meetings, but they're, and they're allowed to vote, but their votes don't count. And you go, well, great. Okay. Um, Symbolic. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no. We, and we listen to them. We really care about them. And they're extraordinary young people, Yeah. you know, so that I think that that's, you know, that, that it, it's going to take that kind of change, but it's going to take us on the inside, seeing as our responsibility, um, talking to the world, uh, about education and actually being advocates out into the world. So besides our advocacy to government or whatever, um, it's 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 that kind of ad- advocacy. And mm. it's not just sitting there smugly going, we're so right about this. Why doesn't everybody agree with us? <laughs> we have to stop doing that too. Yeah, I love, I love your honesty, Annie. Let's, um, I'd love you to leave us with a sentence or to, you know, to encapsulate what's been quite a, a, a fantastically wide-ranging conversation around equity and skills and the idea of the system and how, how kind of the systemic barriers and how we overcome those to try to really evolve education forward together. What is the take-home message that you want to leave us with? Well, I guess that there's hope in this and that in a world that's not seeming very hopeful, this work is hopeful that this is where change comes from uh, is by changing how we think about how we educate uh, young people and that for me part of what keeps me going in this pretty you know messed up world is that I do a job that's hopeful so Mm. there is hope and this is one of the biggest routes to that hope. Thank you for sharing some hope with us today, Ahikira. It's been a delight to have you on the podcast. It's very nice to talk to you. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.